Bless the Lord. Thank you so much. Bless you. Really appreciate it, and uh, it's, it is so good to be back. And as uh, Pastor Andrew said, it's been a, it's been a pretty busy season. And, and so I, I was realizing on my way up that um, we first came to this church. Um, great. We first came to this church in, in 2006. was the first time we ministered in this church. And uh, the connection here was, was Roy Lambert. How many people remember Roy? There was such a... His uh, son, Phil, was one of my team uh, at Hillview when we were leading, but a lot has changed in the last couple of months, and so my wife and uh, Sarah, my wife who's Sarah, and myself have just transitioned last October from leading uh, Hillview. We've now moved to focusing more on the school uh, and with what God's doing with the school there, and so we've been in a transition ourselves. Uh, I think since I was here last time, we've added... Uh, another one to our family, Emma, and so Emma's coming up, or just past um, 15 months, and so Tobias is coming up to four now. I was just remembering the other day when we were last, little Tobias sat in the front there with grabbing the mic, and so it's, it's been quite a journey, but we are so uh, thrilled about what God is doing. We're so thrilled that uh, it's Australia's time. We're so thrilled that, that God is orchestrating something that is it, not just just based on a, a person, it's not just based on a place, but it's, it's actually God's eyes are, are on this nation. And so I want to posture my heart and realize that there are spaces and places all over Australia where God's eye is on right now. And so we're excited um, to be with you this morning. Um, it's good to have a team with me from School of Prophets. And so um, we're going to minister prophetically. Uh, towards the end, but I'm carrying a word uh, which has sort of been resonating and cultivating in my heart this, these last couple of uh, weeks, and, and so I really feel um, to release this, I feel like it's, it's a, a rhema word for you guys, but I feel it's not just a corporate word, but I feel like it's going to be a word that's going to speak into your heart. Because I don't believe God just wants to speak corporately, He wants to speak personally. And this is, this is the beautiful thing about His Word. His Word, His Word can seem so corporate, yet so personal in the same way. When Jesus speaks, it's like He speaks to nations, but speaks to hearts at the same time. And, and this is the beautiful thing we, we begin to discover. And so I really feel there's, there's going to be confirmation, revelation, Something instilled in us. And so why don't you put your hand on your heart with me and pray this prayer. Say, Father, speak to my heart and change my life. Wow. Father, we just welcome the spirit of wisdom and revelation to come, Lord, and unlock to us mysteries and secret places. Lord, we want to step into, Lord God, what you have for us today. Lord, your word says that it, it's your glory to conceal, but it's our glory to search out. So, Father, we together today search out what you want to reveal to us. Lord, we search out, Lord, riches and secret places of your presence. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. 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 Well, I was so um, encouraged that during the communion time that, you know, there was a focus placed on the cross. And, and so, for me, the cross is the central event. The cross is the, the central piece of, of where it brings everyone to. You know, you can't go beyond um, anything unless you first come to the cross. 
But I feel today God wants to take us a step in the sense of further, wherever there's a cross, there's also a resurrection. Where there's a Savior, there's always a shepherd. Wherever there's, there's, there's a, a problem, there's always a miracle. And I think sometimes we can, we can park at the solution, but we miss the promise. You see, the cross is the solution. The cross has always been the solution for mankind, but the cross was never the promise. The cross was the solution. The promise was the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was, was never able to be released unless there was a, a fulfillment of what Jesus said. He said, this is the solution. They'll kill me, but the promise is I'll raise in three days. And I think sometimes we can be so locked on looking for a solution to, to happen that we miss the promise that God wants us to live in. And so I want to say to you today, churches, is God doesn't just want us to create environments of solution. He wants us to establish environments of promise. Because you can park in solution or you can journey in promise. You can park in, in what God has done or you can journey in what He's doing. See, that's the difference between religion and relationship. Religion parks around what God has done. Relationship journeys in what He's doing. That's a living gospel. You see, it's not what God has done. It's what He's doing. The cross is living. The, the resurrection is living. Every day my life is marked with what God is doing, not what He's done. My testimony has never been what He's done. Otherwise, I just present religion to people. And I always take people back instead of taking them into the present. Am I speaking to somebody? And so I want to speak to you today, Montclair, about establishing environments where we bring people into the reality of what God is doing in the midst of their issue, in the midst of their, their circumstances, in the midst of them finding themselves in, in all manner of places. Because life happens. Proverbials hit fans. Things happen in life. But we can either be a people who, who just are caught up in, in what has happened to us instead of being the agents of what can happen through us. I don't want to be a person who's caught up in what's happening to me. I want to be an agent of what can happen through me. And the reason sometimes life happens to you and sometimes these situations happen to you is because God wants to give you the revelation of how you can overcome. Sometimes God gives you a mountain because He wants to give you the revelation of how to move it. <laughs> Let me try this side. Sometimes God gives you the mountain because He wants to give you the revelation on how to move it. It's not about you having to find the, the solution. It's about the promise that he said, speak to the mountain and it'll move. That's not just something you can write on your Facebook on a Sunday morning. That's not just something you put up on a nice whatever or ask Grace Bailey to paint it. This is, this is truth that is lived in and through our lives. And so the greatest example of, of this, of, of really life happening and promise being revealed is, is found in the, the story of Lazarus. 
And for me, it's I truly believe we are living in a Lazarus season. I really believe God is wanting us to become a Lazarus people. What does that mean? Is that we create environments of resurrection. That we create environments. I want to tell you there is a Lazarus factor that God is restoring back to His church. That the dead will be raised. But it's not just the, the dead in life, but it's the dreams and the promises and the aspirations and the hopes that are instilled in every person. I'll tell you, no matter if you're saved or unsaved, every person has a dream. And sometimes people come in off the streets and they're dead in their dreams. And it's not for us to, to sympathize with the dead. Because Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead, but the living's got a, a, the living has got an assignment. Yeah. And for me, the Lazarus factor is this, is whatever dead thing we come across, God has given us the power to resurrect it. Yeah. What does it look like for us to have an environment where, where dead things come to life? Because that is the centrality. That is the centrality of the gospel. You can kill it, but it's going to live. <laughs> you can kill it, but it's going to live. You can, try and, you can try and obliterate it, but it's going to live. Jesus said, you, you destroy this temple, but in three days it will rise again. And I think sometimes what, what, what dies in our life, we, we live in what I call the second day issue. We live in this second day place. We're dead, but we're not alive yet. And we live in this place, what I call the second day factor of, of I'm, I'm like being held here. God, what is happening? I'm neither, I don't feel like I'm dead and I don't feel like I'm alive. It's like when the Bible says we go from glory to glory. Sometimes we get stuck in the two. Sometimes we just get stuck in the two. And I'm, I'm not feeling glorious, particularly at six in the morning before you had coffee. I'm telling you, caffeine is the fourth part of the Trinity. <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. This is, this is how I root out the religious in my services. You know, Jehovah Rafari, the God that healeth thee. Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner. Jehovah Caffeine, the Lord that lifteth thee. And so... You know, you got to realize is when God, this is part of the Lazarus factor. Because if His Word ain't going to raise you up, then we've got something that will, yeah? And I tell you, every morning when that thing drips, I feel like this is my Lazarus factor. But in all seriousness, church, God is wanting to bring us in to the revelation that no dead thing can exist in our presence. And it doesn't exist within the fabric of, of a building. It, it, it exists within the fabric of a people. That no matter where I am or, or who I'm with, the, the who lives in me. The same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells. Why does it dwell in me? Because God wants us to have a resurrection factor, a Lazarus factor upon our lives. Let's make this meeting legal and jump into some scripture. John chapter 11. It's, uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to just jump through some scripture if that's okay. So we realize the Bible says that a, a certain man by the name of Lazarus 
at the town of Bethany where Mary and her sister Martha had become sick. Now, this was the same Mary that anointed Jesus' feet, that had broken the alabaster box and anointed his feet. And this is the amazing thing, is this is why I love that the, the narrator, your John, includes this. Because that oil was meant for burial. That, that oil was meant to be kept for burial. And that oil, which was so rich, was, I believe, was meant for Lazarus. And could have been used for Lazarus, but he used it on Jesus. You see, when, when you sow into resurrection, you're going to reap resurrection. And I don't believe she knew what she was sowing that day. But I want to tell you, that's a word for someone. That, that you could be sowing into something right now that you don't even realize the fruit of in the coming days. You could be sowing into something that you don't even realize that in the coming days what you sowed into is actually going to reap something for you much greater than you could even imagine. And so the narrator goes on and tells us that Lazarus had become sick. Therefore, the sister sent to him saying, Lord, Lord, behold, whom you love is sick. And Jesus said, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he adjured that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place. Then after he said, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you. Are you going to go there again? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm up for anything. You know, it's amazing sometimes. The place of your greatest contention can be the place of your greatest celebration. The place that's trying to kill you actually is the place that's going to bring you the most life. Am I speaking to somebody? And Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light. But he who walks in the night stumbles because light is not in him. These things he said. And after that, he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, you will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about him taking a rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. Can you imagine that? He's like, Jesus is just trying to give him some spiritual encouragement. I've done that in my life pastoring. It's like, I feel like God wants to do this through your life, and people just don't get it. Actually, God wants to kill you. I've actually said that to someone. Someone came into my, my office one day and they've got this issue and that issue. And I'm like, oh, I just, I just feel like the Lord just wants to, is just refining some stuff in your life. I just don't see that. Okay. I just feel like he's like, you know, maybe he's just refining some stuff. Maybe, you know, like, like a great, you know, architect. He's just doing some stuff in your life. And the person just was not getting, actually, God is just killing your flesh. <laughs> and sometimes you just got to speak plainly. Sometimes you just got to say it as it is. And I think sometimes in Christendom, we dress up our problems and try to make them spiritual. When, when you go into financial hardship, it's not always the devil. Sometimes you're just spending a bit too much. Yeah. <laughs> when all of a sudden it's like... I'm so tired. It's not the enemy attacking you. Just go to bed a bit earlier. I'm not speaking to somebody. 
sometimes you're just going to be plain in your language with God. Sometimes God needs to be plain in His language with you. It's, it's not the spirit of the Antichrist against you. It's the spirit of stupid that's on you. Am I speaking to somebody? I can't believe I've got a speed in front. The enemy's attacking me. No, he's not. Just need to slow down. Yeah? So Jesus just spoke plainly. Guys, Lazarus is dead. Oh, oh, um, awkward. You know, I've been in so many meetings where, you know, people are, are trying to be super spiritual, and, and I just drop certain things just to, just to burst the bubble of religiosity. And sometimes Jesus just wants to be plain with us. Turn to your neighbor and say, sometimes God wants to be plain with you. just wants to be real. Then Thomas, verse 16, said, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. <laughs> oh, good Lord. So they've already said, hey, we're going to the place they're trying to kill you, Jesus. Hint, hint, should we not go? And Jesus is like, no, we should go there. And then Thomas, doubting Thomas, is like, well, we're all going to die. Lazarus is dead. They're trying to kill you, Jesus. We might as well go because we're going to die. Can I suggest, you guys, when you are walking in resurrection power, your connection with death is so close. You see, people say to me, I want to walk in resurrection power. Well, if you're going to walk in resurrection power, then you've got to get acquainted with death. Because resurrection isn't for the living. Resurrection is for the dead. And your life is going to be sought after. Now, friend, you're my heart. I'm not saying that you're going to die. I'm not saying that there's an assignment on your life to, to die. But I want to tell you this, that we're coming into a season right now where it's not going to be popular to be a Christian. It's not going to be safe. We, we love it in Australia because we can get up in the morning and come to church. Maybe not get up in the morning and not go to church. But there are places in this world right now. I've done a lot of ministry in the Middle East where literally you can be in a meeting and like that, they'll come in and shut you down. China, they're underground. Because in a moment they could come, imprison them and kill them. And we're in the comfort. And I want to say to walk in resurrection power, friend, we, we've got to get acquainted. We've got to get acquainted with death. Gary, this sounds so morbid. I'm not saying go down to the local graveyard. I'm not saying camp down in the local church graveyard for, you know, for two weeks and get a... I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about going to every funeral. What I'm saying is, is don't get scared of hopelessness in people's lives. Don't get scared. Don't get worried. Don't, don't avoid death in people's lives. Don't, don't avoid hopelessness in people's lives. Don't avoid the, when, when, when the proverbials hitting the fan in people's lives. I tell you, we get so clinical in church. We get so, oh, I can't touch that. I'll tell you, we are more sanitized in church than a flipping hospital. Sin, ah, committed adultery, ah, I can't touch that. Remove them. <sighs> Got to step you down. Let's take that person. Guys, Jesus was not afraid of sin. Jesus was not afraid of death. 
And if we're going to have the Lazarus factor in our lives, then we can't be afraid of sin and we can't be afraid of death. Because I tell you, when, when you've got resurrection power, you attract this stuff. When you've got the answer, you attract people with questions. The problem is, is we've, we've been having questions instead of answers. The church isn't there to ask questions. The church is there to be the answer. And so God is calling us into this Lazarus factor because God wants us to be a people that when they come in through them doors, there's something comes alive. When they come into our personal space, something comes alive. The Lord said this to me 18 months, two years ago. He said, Gary, I want to make your personal space my powerful place. When you hug people, when, when you shake their hands, something happens because you got the Lazarus factor. Am I speaking to somebody? So when Jesus came, verse 17, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away. And many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask God, God will give you. And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. You know, in the Lazarus factor, we can't present our method. We have to embrace God's miracle. God, if this had happened like this, 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 this wouldn't have. God, if you had done this, 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 then this would have been the outcome. What did, you, what did Martha say to Jesus? If only you had been here, then this wouldn't have happened. How many times have we said to God, God, if you had done this, this wouldn't have. And what we do is, is we, we jump into the methodology instead of jumping into the miracle. And we tell God how, he, how He's to perform Instead of embracing the promise he has. And this is why I love that Martha qualified or, or qualified her statement by saying, Hey, I'm all method right now, but I want to embrace miracle. And sometimes we, we prescribe methods to people instead of inviting them into the journey of a miracle. And we tell people how God's going to do it. That if you do this, this, and this, this is going to be the outcome. Uh, uh, uh. Because you can't put a method on a, on a resurrection. You can't put a method on a miracle. <laughs> you can't put a method on a miracle. What gets a miracle is relationship. It's not what you're doing, it's because you're here. And sometimes God wants us just to show up. God just wants us to be present. And I love the English language that present doesn't just mean time. Present means gift. That sometimes God just wants you to be present. And He wants, you to, he wants to unwrap your heart. He wants to unwrap your, your compassion. And this is what I love about Jesus. Is Jesus doesn't come with sympathy. Jesus comes with compassion. You see, sympathy comes from the word symphony. It means to sound the same. And we find this in... In the Gospels where, where Jesus was in a house and they let down the, the guy, the paralytic on the bed. And he had to, he had to remove, tell people to go. Why? Because everyone was sympathizing in the house. 
Jesus didn't come to sound the same. Jesus came with an opposite spirit. And the moment you sympathize, you lose the power to be compassionate. Because God doesn't want you to sound the same. You see, compassion is a language of the heart. Sympathy is a language of emotion. That I connect with you how I feel is sympathy. Connecting with you in how I believe is compassion. And I think we've had too much sympathy in the world. That God doesn't want us to have sympathy. I don't, that's why the moment that you have sympathy in sin is you get disappointed. The moment that you have compassion on sin, it becomes an appointment for God's grace. Because I'm not connecting with you about how I feel. I'm connecting with you about how I believe. And my belief is that He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all I could ever ask or imagine. And Martha said to him, I know that you will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. Oh, there she goes again. Oh, theology. This is the theology. This is how it's going to be. I know that. You're the resurrection and this is going to happen here. And Jesus is like, again, we put time zones on God. Surely, God, you're going to do it like this. Friend, I want to encourage you. In every promise and prophetic word over this house, get out of the method and get into the miracle. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me, though he shall never die, do you believe this? And she said, yes, Lord, I believe this. And when she had said these things, she went away and secretly called Mary, her sister. The teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she rose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in a place where Martha, Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house comforted her. When they saw Mary, rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, She is going to the tomb to weep there. And then when Mary came, Jesus was and saw him. She fell down at his feet, saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. What is this? Prescription again. Method again. And Jesus is like, I'm done with these method women. These Mary Martha methods, I'm done with this. Because these women were women of method. How do I know that? Because when, when Jesus went to the this place of Martha and Mary, what is Mary all about? Ma Ma Martha was all about the method. Jesus sought my sister out. I'm working my backside off you, and she's just sitting there. Check this method of laziness out. And Jesus said, she, she's chosen the right thing. And this is why I think we, 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 we get so disappointed in our relationships. Because when we choose the miracle over the method, it could seem like we're doing nothing. You see, the Bible says, wait on the Lord. It doesn't say, wait for the Lord. Those who wait on Him, not for Him. It's the difference between waiting at the bus stop or waiting on the bus. And so many times, you know, you could feel like you're doing nothing. But that's waiting for the miracle. That's waiting on the miracle of God. The method, it would be that you need to be doing something. And this is the beautiful thing of grace. The Lord said this to me one day. He said, Gary, your input is not required. <laughs> <laughs> be
because I mess up whatever equation the Lord does. I just mess it up. And Jesus responded, and this is what I love. Jesus said, he groaned in his spirit and said, where have you laid him? And she said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept, shortest verse in the Bible. Why did Jesus weep? Why did Jesus weep? And this is, this is one of the key factors of, of the Lazarus factor. As I said, we have to be compassionate. We have to know. We have to. This is what I love. Jesus doesn't just relate, but he responds. And sometimes we can get so clinical with people that we just believe it's all about the prayer. Can I suggest to you right now, when connecting with people over whatever issue they're going through, sometimes they need your person before they need your prayer. Sometimes they need your being before your blessing. Sometimes they, they just need who you are before what you can say. And this is a beautiful thing. Is if when I show up, when, when people are going through whatever, just me being in their presence, just me being with them is greater than anything I can do for them or say to them. Yeah. And this is what the world's looking for, guys. They're not looking for advice. Yeah. They're not looking for, for dialogue. They're looking for demonstration. Yeah. Yeah. Are, you, are you truly who you say you are? Because sometimes, I, th I think one of the presidents said it, most people miss miracles because they're dressed up in overalls and look like hard work. Jesus wept and then the Jews said, oh, see how he loved him. These are the same Jews who sought to kill him. But something changed in their hearts. Compassion, relating well. This is what's going to change the opinion of the world, of the church. It's going to take the opinion from religious bigots to, wow, these guys truly love. And I think sometimes we're just afraid to show emotion. Sometimes we're just afraid to be real. And this house, I, I truly believe this house is called to be a house of resurrection. Yeah. It's to be a house of resurrection. It's going to be known as a house of resurrection. Then Jesus, let's go to verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take the stone away. Take away the stone. Friend, I want to say to you right now, whatever's hurt you, whatever's hurting you, take that stone away. Yeah. Take that stone away from your heart because this is what stops the Lazarus factor in our life is, is when we allow the stones of bitterness and unforgiveness to cover the, stones, the, the tombs of our hearts. Yeah. Because each and every one of us, I want to tell you right now, we have a world out there who needs dreams resurrecting, but we have some people here this morning who needs dreams resurrecting as well. That something might have died on the inside of you, that something is, is not just quite right. And, and if only God, if only this had happened, if only, I want to turn your ifs into nows, guys. That God is, is not delayed. 
You know, sometimes we, we, we live in the delay instead of living in the play. God wants to play it out. He's not delaying it out. God, oh my gosh, I thought you said by May this would happen. I thought you said by April this would God isn't into delaying. You know, one thing I love about God, he, He's neither late nor early. He's always on time. Yeah? yeah? yeah. yeah. And Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. There's a message in there somewhere. Sometimes our disappointment can become bitterness. Sometimes our disappointment can become stenchy. The amount of times I've, I've had to just sit with people who were not the fragrance of Christ, but the fragrance of death because there's disappointment in their life. You see, bitterness smells. Unforgiveness smells. And sometimes disappointment can leave off a fragrance that's, that's not a, an attraction but a distraction. You see, you might be here this morning and you might be saying, why have I got this anger issue? Why, why am I angry? Why, why can't I just like in a moment just flick my switch? What is that about? You see, anger is not your issue. That's just the fruit. The root's disappointment. The, the root is is unmet expectation. The, the root is, is much deeper. The, the anger is just the fruit. And sometimes we just try to keep, take care of the fruit. Sometimes we're out there trying to deal with the fruit, but, but God wants to hit your root. And this is the same with Lazarus. He'd been in there four days. Good Lord. This guy's stinking. But you see, it wasn't just he was thinking the, the stench of unbelief, the, the stench of hopelessness in his sisters, I believe was stronger than the stench of Lazarus in the tomb. And God doesn't want us to bring the Febreze of religion. God doesn't want us to bring the Glen 20 out because that ain't going to do nothing. And sometimes we just want to do that in church. Shh, shh, shh. Let's just mask you, just put you in the corner, get some Christian Botox out, everything's fine. Sometimes we glam 20 ourselves in the morning and get up. How you doing? I'm fine. The amount of Christians I've met that are fine on a Sunday morning, I'd be a millionaire if I got a, if I got a dollar for everyone I met. Seems like every Christian's fine. What's that? Frantic, insecure, neurotic, and emotional. God doesn't want us to glam 20. What's going on in our life? You see, sometimes that just shows us that something needs to change. And the fear of the stench didn't even distract Jesus. Because this is what we've got to understand. Sometimes the stench is part of the process of resurrection. Sometimes the the not-so-nice things are part of the resurrection. Sometimes what I... I don't like is part of the resurrection. You see, sometimes we negate the process because we want to lay hold of the promise. And I want to tell you right now is, is the stench is part of the process. Women, you know what it's about. The pain is part of the promise. And when you go from the, 
shocked to the, oh. You forget the, your whole body. It's not just, it's not just emotionally, guys. It, it's, not, it's, it's literally chemically. Your body releases things. That's what, that's what Hebrews 12, 1 is all about. Two, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. That the joy was greater than the pain. There's a whole message in that which I might get into another time I come. But it's actually, it's got everything to do with your brain. It's got everything to do with how you believe. And if we believe that we are going to get tarnished, if we believe that our reputation is going to be destroyed, if we believe that, that relationships are never going to be the same, if, if we embrace this resurrection lifestyle, then friend, i got news for you. You're going to miss out more than you're going to get. I remember one day, I'm like, God, I, I can't do that. My reputation might get tarnished. He's like, what are you doing with one? The Bible says, and he having no reputation. If he had no one, what am I doing with one? <laughs> if he had no reputation, what am I doing with one? And Jesus stood, and this is what he said. Did, you not, did, you not, did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? And this is what he said, Father... I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you always hear me. But because of the people who are standing by my side, I've said this, that they would believe that you sent me. And now when he had said these things, he cried in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. It's the dad joke here, which everyone's heard. He came fifth and lost the race. But <laughs> Lazarus, come forth. And he who had died came out bound hand to foot with grave clothes on. And his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, loose him and let him go. Friend, I want to say to you right now. The greatest power, the greatest tool, the greatest attribute of resurrection. Not just in your life, but in the lives of others is identity. Yeah. To resurrect a generation is not going to take power. It's not going to take intellect. It's going to take identity. Jesus didn't shout and say, come forth, Lazarus. He said, Lazarus, come forth. You see, God will always put a noun before a verb. God will always put who you are before what you can do. God will always place your, your very nature. God will always place your very heart before your hands. And this is the beautiful thing we have to understand, is He is at the heart. He is at the, the tomb of your heart this morning, friends. He's at that place where you feel dead. He's at that place. And, and he's, not, he's not speaking forth your miracle. He's not speaking forth the method. He's speaking forth your name. He's speaking your name. He's speaking your identity. It's who you are. And this is something I believe God wants to bring a revelation of in the area of evangelism. That the, God doesn't want us to go out there and, and tell people what God can do for them. Come on. What they're going to be saved from. On, it's who they are. Yes. And this is why I love the prophetic. Because the prophetic, yeah. the prophetic gives 
the, the very depths, the prophetic reveals the very nature of identity and on who a person is. Yeah. So good. Jesus didn't from heaven. This is the beautiful thing. One of, one of the earliest prophetic words that we see in Scripture didn't come from a prophet. It came from the, God Himself. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. He's my, he's my Son before He's my pleasure. He didn't say he's my pleasure because he's my son. He said he's my son and he's my pleasure. God's voice from heaven spoke. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Friend, what if that wasn't just for the baptism of Jesus? What if every day the Lord's wanting us to go and find sons who can become his pleasure? That's what I truly believe evangelism is about. It's about finding sons. Who are his pleasure? When you speak someone's name, when you're able to, to speak their name, this is who you are. And you know, this is what I love about the prophetic sometimes. Sometimes God gives you words that, that have absolutely nothing of meaning to you, but have such a de- deep meaning to the person you're speaking to. That in one moment you could resurrect a heart. Because we were once dead in trespasses and sins, but have now been made alive together. And this is why our love is, is this isn't a sinship, this is a sonship. I'm not bringing people into sinships, I'm bringing people into sonship. We're not, we're not, we're not boarding sinships, because... That's the Titanic. You see, the, the difference between a t- the sonship and a, and, and a sinship is the difference between the ark and the Titanic. Those on the sinship believe they'll never sink. But a sonship is one who God calls you into. That in the, in the, the most gravest of disasters, He assures your life. And I never want to Set sail in a sinship that says, not even God can sink this. I want to take people off the Titanic and put them in the ark. Yeah? That's why the disciples went out two by two. Because <laughs> you've got you to gotta go out to bring them in. Am I speaking to somebody? So who's ready to allow the Lazarus factor to instill their lives that doesn't only allow you to become resurrected, but now you become an agent of resurrection. That every day, the places in my life, and guys, trust me, I'm standing here today with places in my heart that are still dead. That I'm like, God, I'm I'm still dead in this area. But every morning I hear my name. Every morning I hear my name in that tomb of my heart. Gary. You were once dead, but now you're alive. You can live in this. But God is too painful. No, you can live in this. But God, I can't go back there. No, you're going to live in this. But friend, I, I, I want to show you something in this last part of Scripture. Jesus calls him forth. Jesus did the miracle. Jesus did what he said he would do. Jesus executed the very nature of who he was. 
He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He demonstrated He's the resurrection and the life. That's what I love about Jesus. He doesn't just talk about it. And this is something, this is a revelation that's, that's coming back to the church. We can't just talk about it. We can't go around, oh, yeah, I forgive everyone. Oh, sinners, yeah, to bring them in. What happens when they start coming in? <laughs> Jesus didn't go around and say, I'm the resurrection and the life. Check my badge out, right there, see? Resurrection and life. He didn't go around handing out business cards, resurrection and the life. You need a resurrection, just call me. He demonstrated it. You see, don't get a builder to build your house who says he's a builder. You want to see his work. But this is what he did. He resurrected Lazarus, but he did something so powerful. And this is the invitation to us today. This is the invitation to, to Mount Clear. This is the invitation to Ballarat. This is the invitation to Australia. He called him forth, and then he turned to the ones who had hoped for, the ones who found themselves in the deepest place, in the most gravious of places, he turned to them and said, now you loose him and let him go. You see, sometimes God does the miracle, but we've got to unpack it. Sometimes God gives us the revelation, but we've got to unpack it. Sometimes God gives us the answer, but he's inviting us to unpack it. You see, you might not realize right now that he's already given you the answer, but all you're staring at is grave clothes. And it's reminding you of what happened, not what God is wanting to do. Am I speaking to somebody? And so, Father, I release right now in this house a space and a place of resurrection. That, Lord, though we find ourselves in a place of maybe grieving what's happened. Maybe we're, we're grieving what hasn't happened. Father, I release right now a, a peace. Lord, I release a reality in this house. Lord, that you would weave into the fabric of this place and into the fabric of this people threads of resurrection that we would become a tapestry of truth, that we would become a people that, that are not distracted by, that we're not disappointed by the death and sin of others. But Lord, we become the agent of change. The Lord, what you want to do to us, you want to do through us in this season. Wow. Father, I thank you for what you're releasing in Jesus' name. Just put your hand on your heart right now. And just pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, what was dead, thank you, is now alive. What was a disappointment in my life has now become an appointment of your glory. Jesus. Wow. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Wow. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Jesus. Um, something that, that I heard uh, the Father whisper to me in worship 
that I actually tucked away and thought, actually, no, I don't want to do that. But then Gary said these words, that this house is a, res a resurrection house. And I was like, well, that's confirmation. So my question is, is there something going on here right now surrounding a dream in formulating what the Lord said to me, a healing center? Is that correct? Can I give a house for the word? Is that all right? Come on. A word for the house? Awesome. What I saw was like the Lord, whoever's uh, orchestrating this thought and is, is, has this dream that the Lord, there's this frustration that things aren't seemingly clicking together. And it's like you've been trying to use a Rubik's Cube without a mathematical gift. But I saw him bestowing a mathematical gift of not even having to do the numbers, not crunch the numbers, but just seeing the puzzle unfold. So this is what the Lord said. Clicking together as a mathematical brain as if you'll see the answers to the people's needs in four dimensions. Which is cool. Come on. I just realized that just then. In thought, one. In feeling, two. In vision, three. And in counter. And then he said this to me. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. Yeah. It's not what Jesus heard God saying. It's what he saw him doing. Come on. And the needs are going to become so evident in this community that you're actually just going to be able to meet them because you're seeing him do. It's following favor instead of finding favor. Yeah.